Hello, welcome to, for really the first time, Unbounded Conversations. You know, our goal is to explore what's possible with BSV and the MetaNet and try and emphasize especially what are some potential business applications where aspiring entrepreneurs can get a foothold in the space and we're a fund and so we're coming from the perspective of the types of businesses that we're interested in seeing both from a fund standpoint but also from a world standpoint what we think will improve the lives of the masses i guess is one sort of paternalistic way of talking about the impacts of bsv and the internet anyway enough of that i'm joined here by dave molnmir and ryan wold guys how are you doing doing well good morning it's getting early here on the pacific time zone so good to see you guys yeah we caught ryan on the before work part of the day so ryan why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself what you do how you got into the Bitcoin space, and I'll give you some follow-ups from there. Sure, sure. Yeah, so I'm a, uh, a software developer. Uh, I have a lot of background in product management as well, uh, specifically in the public sector. I started my career in, in local government in an auditor's office doing financial reporting automation and, and workflow. From there, it's been a sort of a meandering path. Uh, I worked at a charter school. I worked at a private company selling SaaS software to government innovation studio working with startups and enterprises doing kind of next generation innovation projects and then i worked at a uh, large consultancy working with enterprises and and governments doing innovation and also replatforming projects and, and now i'm employed by the federal government working in the open data portfolio focusing on citizen feedback and customer experience yeah i got into the bitcoin space Relatively recently, to be honest, I, I've been watching the space develop for several years. Uh, I had some friends who got into mining quite early. They were doing the crate boxes and, and you know, in the garage sort of thing. And I, I really didn't get it at the time. And so that they were doing some early stuff with Bitcoin. Then I saw Ethereum come out and I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting, the smart contract stuff. And I actually tried to play with Solidity and Truffle a bit and I, I did wasn't really a fan of the experience and I, I, it just didn't stick for me at the time. And then I heard about the hack and that kind of scared me off. And then I saw sort of this like explosion of all these like, you know, altcoins. And what was interesting about that is just seeing all the different use cases that, that people thought were a problem. And then ultimately I found uh, BSV this summer. I think June was really when I jumped in. I heard about the fork and I, again, I, I didn't really understand what was going on in the space. And yeah, the, the more I poked at it, the more it sort of stood up to my scrutiny and, and it sort of drew my interest in some of the misinformation around it was, it was specifically interesting. I was like, huh, what's going on here? Why is there so much, so much passion about, you know, like down talking, you know, the technology and, and, and then also sort of the promise of what it was, which was actually getting back to the basics of Bitcoin that just sort of really appealed to me. And once I had kind of put my hands on the technology, I started running a node, started playing with the BSV library. I was like, oh, wow, there's actually something here. I had an experience with Money Button and then got onto Twitch. Yeah, and sort of from there, I was like, oh, wow, like this this thing, actually, there's something here. The micropayments were, were a real thing. And ultimately, what it does to the user experience is, is sort of what hooked me. And then from there, I've gotten into the philosophy of Bitcoin and a lot about economics and incentives. And it's been quite exciting. Yeah, it sounds like several of those of those jobs you've had have been within the private sector and have touched the public sector in a way where like you're trying to improve efficiency or just get better outcomes. When you, when you found Bitcoin, Ethereum, the whole crypto ecosystem, were you initially thinking about, oh, how can this leverage, how can I leverage this technology to improve you know, what you're working on in your career? Or was it just like independent interest of yours? 
Yeah, it, it wasn't actually related to the public sector at all. Public sector is traditionally a, a late adopter of tech. For me, I, I have a bunch of side projects. I'm sort of always, you know, hacking on, on something on the side, 3D projects, I mean, all sorts of different stuff. So I was really just sort of looking at it as a curiosity from a technical standpoint. As as I sort of come back to, to BSV, the opportunities in the public space are quite evident to me, especially as I understand the technology better. And I have a more mature understanding of what the pain points are in government, which aren't necessarily even technology related. Great. Before we jump into that, I was curious about, as you're describing your career, you mentioned the uh, open data portfolio. Mm-hmm. Can you explain a little bit more about what that is? Yeah, so in the public sector, a lot of data is is public. So things from financial data, transactions, budgets, uh, procurement information, things like property tax records. There's just sort of this inherent notion that public data should be public. And you know, starting my career in an auditor's office, I was sort of immersed in, in all sorts of data sets, working on the financial accounting system. But now fast forward, you know, over the last 10 years, I've been really immersed in the civic you know, civic tech sector, or you know, it's, it's been called open gov or open, open data, gov tech sometimes. During that time, there's been a lot of focus on making data available openly. And there's a, a kind of a suite of products called like open data portals. CCAN is one, DCAN is another, Socrata is a, pi- a private vendor in the space. A lot of agencies just publish links to just data sets online. Sometimes it's machine readable like CSV or XML or JSON. Uh, lots of times it's really not so friendly, like, you know, publishing PDFs or docx's or or just sort of like, you know, just publish really basically on online in a non-semantic way. So yeah, again, there's this notion that open data should be public and but ultimately just because it's online doesn't mean it's useful. And, and there's a set of open data principles that I can kind of share after this, but the qualities that actually constitute open data because just publishing your data doesn't necessarily make it open and useful. And and the theory behind this is, is number one, to inform the public. It's their information. How can it drive additional businesses to provide additional value in either this, the public sphere, the civic sphere, or even the private sector? Interesting. So when are we going to see a hash of all these data sets on the blockchain? <laughs> Well, I think that's a, a really good question. Lots of lots of these portals. I mean, Seattle has a portal. San Francisco has a portal. Chicago has a portal. I mean, there's there's tons of different portals. The federal government has a portal, many portals. And we're talking, you know, petabytes of data. What's interesting is that the data is already sort of online. And so putting it on chain, that's sort of feature parity from, uh, from where a lot of people stand. And so looking to figure out why specifically to put it on chain, what would putting it on chain do and how would that be uniquely valuable i think is is the question and to be honest i'm still trying to figure that out there are kind of obvious things about immutability about uh, high availability beyond that you know i'm still kind of looking for that that aha moment because ultimately there's cost involved within within anything there's a trade-off and we're really looking for the value and so there's been a lot of investment in open data portals in my opinion there they haven't actually reaped the benefits that I i think people envisioned to start you know there's a lot of talk about data as oil well you know oil oil in and of itself isn't that valuable it's what you do to it it's how you refine it it's how you basically make derivative products out of it and i think open data is the same way and when we start having pipelines of data being consumed and used and distributed by companies and and ultimately with with a broad set of users on the end then you sort of get into 
it's a, it's a higher leverage argument in order to make to put it on chain. Okay, well, we actually do need it, you know, immutable. We need it available in real time. You know, th- these are things that I think will power sort of the next generation of of public service delivery in my mind. But when that next generation comes, I think is is always the thing I grapple with. I kind of live in the future a bit. And again, the public sector isn't an early adopter of this stuff. Is that next generation in the next two to three years? Is it 10 years? You know, is it beyond? That's that's kind of a hard call. I'm hoping it's as soon as possible. Yeah. When you describe the current state of the data portals, it sounds like it's very siloed. Is there much friction between, you know, a Chicago portal and a San Francisco portal? My mind with BSV initially goes to, oh, well, if you centralize it all in one database, cross-communication and use cases that come from that could be a huge benefit. Do you think that that's a big problem currently, or is it fairly simple to access data from multiple portals and use them together in unique ways? Yeah, that's a really good question. I would say in that regard, it's definitely siloed and and there's multiple levels of it. So one thing I I think about a lot is jurisdictional boundaries. And and in the United States, we have over 90,000 jurisdictions. You know, most people think about 50 states, you know, 3,000 counties. I mean, most people don't even think about that, to be honest. But then we have, you know, 16,000 towns and cities. We have special districts school districts, mosquito abatement districts, water districts, you know, all sorts of different sort of sub-levels of government. And so something like Chicago versus San Francisco, number one, is it a problem? It kind of depends on your perspective. For better or worse, our, our government is federated by nature, and there aren't a whole ton of active use cases right now where somebody would need information from San Francisco and Chicago, unless you're, you know, you think larger than government itself. And I think it's very natural for a citizen to think of government as one, you know, capital G government, that's everything. But somebody who works at Chicago or somebody who's in San Francisco, you know, I I don't think they come across use cases on a regular basis where like, oh, I wish I had this other data set. I think that's short-sighted. I think, you know, we're going to look back on this and it's going to be obvious that, yes, we should have interoperability between these data sets. So that's sort of, you know, city to city between states. But ultimately you get into... You know, I'm, I'm trying to, to angle towards where this would be useful. And say Cal, uh, California, we have 58 counties. And then there's efforts at the state level and then between multiple counties and also like in the nonprofit sector where there is a need to aggregate this data. Well, how is City A doing versus City B? And in, in that case, you know, City A and B may have data portals. And if they do, that data is likely not going to be in the same format it's not going to be readily you know, accessible or interoperable. And then, I mean, from there, you can kind of just see that, like, all of the operational, like, efficiencies that you, you would get out of that aren't realized because the information doesn't talk to each other. A, a lot of times this is downloading a data set, munging it and sticking it into another data set rather than getting, like, real-time event notifications that you, know, you would expect sort of in the private sector. So, you know, there's, there's a long tail of of use cases that that will emerge when people start thinking about their data as a first-class citizen and start to boil away some of their unintentional complexity or meaningless differentiation you know there's a lot of a lot of friction around just incompatible data sets and oh i publish it in xml and i publish it in json and oh i use a private vendor who publishes my financial data in this format and oh i use a different vendor and they publish it in this format and it's like okay, sure, again, it's technically available online, it's open, but is it is it 
machine readable? Is it accessible? Is it standardized? Is it processed in a way that, that can be put to good use? And so there are companies poking at this, but I, I don't know if they're thinking big enough, to be honest. Yeah, it, it sounds like a lot of this is EDI, which is like a whole industry that I wasn't that aware of until exploring further into BSV and seeing how useful it would be for that application. So do you yeah. think like government would implement you know, different standards or solve this problem on their own? Or is this something that the private sector would solve and lead the way on that the public sector would adopt? The government won't solve it on their own. I think that's just definitionally infeasible. There's too many governments involved, you know, cities, states, counties who have at a federal level who have different goals, different constraints. Somebody who's actually done really good work in this space is Google around the uh, Google Transit specification, uh, GTFS, I think is what it's called. But basically, like, that's how they're able to surface things like travel times for public, you know, public transport in Google Apps. And, or Google Maps. And so they they basically worked with a set of jurisdictions on that. They were able to sort of test it out, get feedback, and then they sort of were able to own that standard, uh, which is an open file format. And then vendors kind of got aboard and then cities got aboard and it really created this standardized approach. I, I think the thing I, I that always comes to mind in that is, you know, there are technical issues there, but it's really a, a people problem. It's really a coordination problem. And, you know, just like most standards, it's, you know, yes, there are, are technical concerns, but a lot of it is just getting in line with the standard. And then because of a common interface, what you can build atop of that is is much, much greater. Yeah, so it strikes me that big use case for a lot of this data or is in sort of the research area, both in terms of governments conducting or funding research and also researchers relying on data sets provided by the government. It's kind of, it kind of leads me to a question I had that's a little bit more general in terms of what is the sort of clearest route from a sales perspective to get governments on board? Is it cost savings for the government? Is it increased productivity for them or their partners? Or how much of a factor is something like trustworthiness to governments, especially like at the local level, state level, in terms of being willing to adopt a sort of newer technology? What is the value prop of open data? Again, I really like that question. Fortunately, I don't think it's trustworthiness. There are a lot of laws that exist around sunshine and transparency. Those typically aren't a business driver. The things that typically tend to to appeal to governments are things like policy mandates, legal requirements. Having a notion of cost efficiency and cost savings is, is always great, and it's something that they can't really shake their head at. Any any sales pitch comes down to, you know, the the value of what is what does open data do for me? How does it reduce my costs? But ultimately one of the costs is a risk is risk. If there's policy mandates and for example, like accessibility is a big one coming out. And so if there's like data around accessibility and proving that, yes, we are accessible, then that addresses their, you know, a primary risk that's, you know, it's on the books, it's in their mind, and then you can attach a value to it. Like sort of that's kind of the trifecta. You know, transparency is, is something that is is very much top of mind for me. And I think there are huge derivative, you know, values to that in, in the public in the public sphere, you know, increasing public trust is, I don't know if there's actually things that are much more important than that overall, but backing into that from a business case or sales 
standpoint is is quite difficult. So, yeah, trying to meet them where they're at with their <clears throat> their immediate problems, their operational issues, which which are typically around yeah policy and and data management. So, do you think policy is the best sort of course in terms of trying to get adoption of some sort of or in terms of trust being the sort of main value prop, do you think policy is the best way to get action on that front? Not around trust. Again, it's, it's who is the, the, the value to. And so I don't know if trust is a primary value of government. It's something that they can't shake their head at, but it's also something that they can't really put a budget line item around. I think the strategy is to understand the policy landscape and be able to craft products that bump up to that with a byproduct of transparency. So there are companies like OpenGov that focus on financial data. They're sort of like a very generally like a turbo tax for government. And so they publish a lot of financial data online. And so they're meeting a, an operational need to make budget information accessible and transparent or actually just accessible and reportable internally. And then as a byproduct, the citizens can access a portal and view this information in a, in a better way than before. I feel like such a crony now. I'm thinking about what policy can I get passed to get my you know blockchain-based civic tech solution purchased by a bunch of you know governments within a state or across the country. I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I can see how that that whole process kind of unfolds in a nutshell where the business maybe precedes the policy although in if your business is all about transparency then maybe it's less of a conflict or a more acceptable conflict of interest yeah it's, it's a multi-dimensional game for sure i, I think blockchain has a, a wide many many different value propositions and and uh, there's a, a large surface area of technology and government and ultimately just finding their overlaps and so yeah i think you know starting with any you know with the end goal in mind to me the end goal isn't blockchain the end goal is is trust and efficiency and but blockchain just happens to be the best tool to achieve that i think in the long term yeah it'll be interesting to see how the space evolves and and sort of what the narratives evolve you know in, in the space and there's been a lot of blockchain sold to government in the last five years i think it's mostly been snake oil to be honest but it is still evident that there is a perceived value there and trying to understand what that value is around efficiency, around accountability. Again, these are things that governments can't really shake their heads and say no to. Will they deliver on it? Most of these solutions, no, not even close. And again, it's not a technology issue. It's a getting in alignment with the technology. It's working with the technology. So that means changing policies. It means changing operational procedures. It means you know, having discussions with unions about job roles and all of these things that are, you know, much beyond, you know, a, you know, a piece of technology that lives on, you know, servers in a cloud somewhere. It, it gets human really, really quickly. And that the surface area of the human component is often underestimated. And, and frankly, that's, that's short-sighted. And that's something that I'm coming to grips with is, you know, you can, introduce an efficiency 
that makes a whole class of jobs redundant or un unnecessary and it's not a, a personal thing but maybe those people shouldn't be putting stamps on paper all day you know maybe it would be better if we could take that public money and you know pay them to go you know educate around financial matters in a classroom or you know go work in a park somewhere you know like you know, I don't have any issue with the public funds, but it's like ultimately you're refactoring all the operations of government as you introduce these technologies. And that's typically an obstacle. It's not a or, or a bottleneck, I guess, from a system standpoint. So you can introduce this great stuff, but then there are downturn derivative effects that, that ultimately a stakeholder is going to have a concern for. And being able to address that in an effective way, I think, is is something that I'm really looking forward to. Well, I was just going to ask, uh, since I know we don't have unlimited time, sort of getting into the meat of it, you know, from an entrepreneur's perspective, or, or how you see it, what are some of the great businesses that you want to see built using BSV Metanet in the area of civic tech? Yeah, I think there's a lot of stuff around open data that just makes complete sense. Understanding the economics of that about putting data on chain is is interesting. The immutability of long term of this data I think is also something that that's going to be interesting. A lot of public open data records have expirations so it's like you have to keep something for seven years or ten years or three years and blockchain sort of promises that it can be there forever. Just thinking what that looks like in, in practice I actually had a chance to to ask Craig how do you handle this? And he said, well, just provably delete the keys. And I was like, well, that's a pretty obvious and, and elegant solution. It still leaves questions in my mind about, you know, that data is accessible. And I think if it's public, I, I, I'm okay with that, but I'm curious how, the, you know, how that's going to play out in policy. So I think open data portals, it just makes a lot of sense right now. There are issues around archives going offline, data going dark. I mean, this has happened in, in at the federal level in the last few years. This happens at the local level quite often. So having something that's online, distributed, readily available is it's an inherently better solution than a city running a data portal and then having to inherit all of that cost on their own. Financial records makes a lot of sense. You know, just it, it's a public ledger, right? Bitcoin is a public ledger. You know, should that public data be public? Uh, in my opinion, absolutely yes, unequivocally. How financial systems that each department or each jurisdiction, each agency operate, you know, that is a coordination effort, uh, primarily operational, not necessarily technical. Uh, there are technical aspects, but like, you know, getting your financial system to to operate uh, with or on chain, you know, I think that could be that could be a huge win. Again, it's gonna. There's a large surface area there. We're talking thousands and thousands of systems. You know, something that's kind of near and dear to my heart is is public service delivery. Um, things like how how do citizens interact with government on a daily basis? Right now, there there are several different methods to do this. There are like idea portals where you can go and submit your idea. There are like customer satisfaction forms, and then there are like three one one programs, which are sort of catch-alls for anything. These are sort of like help desk systems and, and where you can basically submit submit a request. Hey, I, I need uh, my pothole filled. I need, uh, I, I would like uh, to submit my recommendation about education. 
ultimately this feedback comes in from all these different directions, right? There's say 100,000 citizens in a city feeding all this information to one place. Well, this needs to then be coordinated back into the internals of government. And so maybe there's 15 different departments inside of an agency. And there's these implicit workflows that happen based on the type of feedback. So if I say I need my pothole fixed, well, it's, it's a dynamic routing problem. And so how that piece of information travels through the different states that it takes in order to get a resolution, I think is, is very interesting. And, and it's a general class of a workflow problem, which I think the blockchain is very well suited for around state management, about event, you know, um, it's essentially an event log. So governments can craft their workflows and, uh, and the blockchain can sort of power that in a way that goes between agencies and goes between sort of the, the organizational silos that it traditionally operates in, in order to provide a more coherent, unique, just a more coherent experience to the government, uh, to the public user, um, rather than having to sort of operate with each individual silo on its own and then sort of knit together a coherent experience. Like if I'm getting a business license, I have to go, you know, talk to the business group and then I have to go talk to the tax group and then I have to file something with like the assessor or the recorder. Like all of that should be done internally. Like my experience is getting a business license, but governments have, you know, they suffer from Conway's law, which is they hoist their internal structure out onto the citizen or onto the user and that just makes for a very poor user experience and, and I think that ultimately the blockchain will help craft more user-centered citizen-centered services. What do you think is the sort of or how much ability is there to infiltrate or influence some of the larger kind of bureaucratic organizations like FDA, EPA, AMA, these, these sorts of groups that have sort of a large say in terms of, you know, what becomes acceptable or in terms of implementing policy and often maybe leverage like a lot of internal or funded research uh, to help make those decisions. It seems like there's a lot of room for increased like efficiency and trustworthiness through having maybe more transparent research methods as an example, but do you see that being on the sort of level of penetrability that maybe you see more local government and state governments presenting in terms of opportunity? Yeah, I mean, the federal level is very difficult. And, you know, to be honest, I don't really have insight into their operations, you know, for, for those agencies. The notion of transparent research, like, could potentially lead to operational changes and, and efficiencies, but I don't really have insight there. I, I think, and I think about the surface area or, or the how many citizens interact with, with those agencies directly as opposed to sort of are impacted by the outcomes that come out of those agencies. And to be honest, I don't really have a lot of insight there. But at the local level, which is, I, I believe all politics is local, like the surface area is huge. It's It's much easier to penetrate the market. It's much easier to to explore, you know, especially with the notion of, you know, we have laboratories of democracy. Well, we need to be running many experiments. We need to be uh, testing at, at the small level, building trust in the technology into the processes that surround the technology. 
you know, into, into sort of understanding the patterns that happen when you introduce blockchain into an agency? Like, like what are the what are the you know design patterns that sort of pop out of that? I think we need to understand that a lot more. And again, the the there's a much longer tail of opportunity at the you know 50 states 3,000 counties we're already seeing it and then 16,000 towns and cities like you you see what that service area is you know the dollar amounts might not be multi multi millions like they might be at the federal level you know I, I think there are plenty of business opportunities uh, at the bottom and as as the technology takes hold and as people within government and outside of government see what it can offer and experience sort of the the transformative effects of having immutable data that's are you know always online then it becomes foundational for sort of a new generation of expectations around what our government can do and ultimately the the quality and level of public services that that we receive i think will be will be remarkable yeah, so, so in that vein, one of my favorite things about Bitcoin is that everybody has their nine to five job. And so we have all these Bitcoin enthusiasts who are experts in some other field. And, you know, their brain's always like thinking, how can I use Bitcoin to improve the field that my expertise is in? So your expertise being in local government, like what would you say, you know, is the current understanding and attitude towards Bitcoin within local government if, if they're aware of it? Yeah, so Bitcoin specifically, I would say like almost non-existent, you know, except for the people that are, are you know poking at this on the side. I think blockchain in the last couple of years is definitely on people's mind. What that means to different people, I think, varies a lot. You know, I think the notion of a, a ledger makes sense to a lot of people in government. There's, you know, I think finance is kind of core to a lot of government operations, and and again, it's something that people can't really disagree with yes we need a ledger we already use a ledger okay that makes sense how can we leverage it mm, i'm not not quite so sure yet but the but the notion of a blockchain is on a lot of people's mind my concern is is that it's sort of been sold as a a solve all is like a silver bullet and and it's not going to be that it's always going to leave people with missed expectations because there is so much you know, it's it's so overhyped and overmarketed, and again, it's just a tool. You know, it's a, a one piece of technology that, if introduced, has so many implicit operational changes that that are required. And and introducing just basic software into government is a challenge. You know, based on all those same issues. So you know, doing something on the blockchain, I I just don't think they're quite there yet. Something that I think is very interesting, though, is is Bitcoin being a public blockchain can help sidestep a lot of sort of what I'd say like organizational dependencies that would have to happen. So I've seen projects like a government or even private corporations who adopt a blockchain and they have to create these governance structures in order to just manage their own private blockchain, whether that's a good idea or not. Um, you know, I'll kind of leave that on the side. But that work in and of itself isn't delivering value to users. It's just governance, and it's another layer of governance. And so if you use you know, the, the public blockchain, you can just get right to delivering value. You can just leverage a, you know, an existing you know, chain. 
you encrypt the data, you put it out there, it's publicly available, argue it should arguably it should already be publicly available. And so I think I don't think people are, are there yet generally. I think there's a huge opportunity to educate the market and to and ultimately to show because there's been a lot of telling around the blockchain sector for yeah, the last few years. I mean, it's rampant. I think, you know, every CIO and innovation officer and information officer and, and, and frankly, even boards have gotten briefings on blockchain and, you know, why you need to buy, you know, this corporate blockchain. I mean, this is sort of even akin to my experience, which is like, just see, see a use case that makes sense, put your hands on it, experience what it's like. And then that's where that transform, you know, that transformation will come through, that understanding will come from use, more showing and less telling. The values in the use. I don't know. I've never heard that before. Uh, <laughs> so speaking of show, don't tell, if you want to share, are you working on anything in this area? Is there anything that you're building or just any anything in the works with you related to Bitcoin? I have some projects that are non-public public sector related, and uh, we can talk about those another time. But something I, I will share is that approaching the public sector with a technology first blockchain pitch is is something that I think there's less and less appetite for right now. I think there's this kind of hangover from the last few years about these missed promises, you know, buy our, you know, corporate blockchain solution. And then, you know, people that have done that aren't, aren't seeing the, uh, the benefits of that. And so I've been poking around other aspects of it and, uh, you know, other things that 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 the blockchain can do and i've been having a lot of luck around high data data availability but more so i've been having luck around discussing identity and how blockchain can potentially relieve governments of having to manage a lot of pii on you know through their systems themselves if i'm a government and i'm taking i want to interact with citizens and I'm having to take personally identifiable information, well, my risk profile for all of those systems goes up, which means my costs go up, which means my, you know, the potential liability is higher. Ultimately, if there is a way to push some of this back to the user by having them have a, a authoritative digital identity that is proofed by potentially a, a government such as the federal government or their local jurisdiction in an in a immutable, you know, trustworthy way that reduces the amount of information I have to hold within my systems and it increases the capabilities of me to serve that customer in, in a new way so then the notion of identity is very interesting you know it, it's very central to our experience as citizens who interact with government you know if you're going to the DMV or you're doing a business license or, or anything you're having to fork over all of the same information over and over and over again, which means in the back end, it's being persisted over and over and over again. And there's really no coordination around that between system to system to system. And I, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. The implementation is not going to be trivial, but I think the value proposition is very, very clear to both administrators within government and citizens. Well, that's all fantastic stuff, and I, it leaves me feeling very optimistic about the future of government and what they'll be able to provide, and 
you know, what the expectations will be, which I think is just as important. And I just want to thank you for your time, for coming on with us, being a part of our show, helping us through some of the technical kinks earlier before we actually logged on. Uh, so Ryan, really want to thank you again. Thank you both. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's always a pleasure talking to you. All right, guys. Catch you soon. Right, Happy guys. Friday. Me too.